0: Micah uh, chapter five and the title of the message is a little town of Bethlehem. So, you know, we're in the Christmas season and one of the cool things about uh, this time of year is that we get to do Christmas messages that are specifically about Jesus. Now, anytime you open up the Bible, you can always preach to Jesus because in one sense, it's all about him. But there are those uh, passages, there are those prophecies, there are those classic Christmas um, scriptures that God has elevated just to kind of bring us back, man, into perspective. You know, today when I was uh, getting ready for the study and just kind of just trying to prepare my heart, uh, I was asking the Lord, Lord, how do I really celebrate Christmas? Like, how do I really do this, you know? And there's a lot of things I I know God leads us in, you know, to be a part of. But what the Lord told me is he just said, you know what, just come and spend some time with me. Just come away from everything else and just you and me. Let's talk. Let's, uh, Let's fellowship. You know, when you pray and you can get away maybe somewhere and you get on your knees or whatever, you know, you're praying and you can talk to God. But, you know, he also talks to us. And that's why we have to have an ear to hear. And so um, I pray that this Christmas season is not just busy; it's not just doing a whole bunch of stuff, but maybe even sanctify more time to spend with Jesus. And so, anyways, tonight is kind of cool. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. I was thinking about when my wife was pregnant, and we were kind of going to the doctor and all that kind of stuff. How um, you know they said, well, you know, you have options as far as where you want your children to be born. And so we you know, chose a certain location, and we just kind of took all the logistics into consideration, and we said, well, this is where we want our children to be born. Now, the same is true with Jesus. I believe that the Father chose Bethlehem, and we're going to see why as we go through uh, tonight. And it's a really, really cool uh, story, why Bethlehem. Now, some might say it was random or, you know, there's no reason really. It just kind of happened naturally. But I believe it wasn't random. God chose Bethlehem. And there's a lesson for us. We're going to see even, you know, when we look at this, the coming of the Messiah, that we'll see in this place, we get to kind of glean what this is all about. Why Bethlehem? Let me give you two things. Number one, the meaning of its name. Why Bethlehem Ephrathah? And we're going to have to learn that word, Ephrathah. Can you guys say that? Ephrathah. Because there was a Bethlehem in Zebulun, and there's also a Bethlehem in, in Judea. So this Bethlehem Ephrathah is the one that Jesus was born there. So the meaning of its name, that's one, and then its single claim to fame. And what was it about Bethlehem? What made Bethlehem special? before the birth of Jesus. You guys know, right? What was it? David. That's it. Nothing else about Bethlehem. There was no scenic views. There was no Niagara Falls. There was uh, nothing about it. Even today, if you go to Israel, there's nothing really... Uh, pretty or significant about Bethlehem it's actually kind of dirty a lot of times when you go to Israel they don't want to go to Bethlehem because for some reason it's still like that there's nothing significant about Bethlehem other than David was born there and Jesus was born there and we're going to see that that is it sends the message right away when we're talking about Christmas you know we're talking about how God gave his son how Jesus came and we're going to see ultimately he came, you know, to of course teach us and show us the way, but eventually to lay down his life and he goes from the cradle to the cross but then eventually to the crown. You know, you look in the world that we live in today and we're trying hard to make this a good place, but have you guys learned that we can't? We can't. We're we're making it worse. We're trying but you know, you can get all the globalism, you get all the money, you get all the technology. But we will not be able to bring peace on earth. We can't. If there's one thing we're learning, is that we can't. We need God. And it doesn't mean we're, we don't try. It doesn't mean we don't try to make this a better place. But I'll tell you what, that's one thing we're learning, is that we need God. And when you look at Micah chapter 5, it's an interesting uh, passage. Most of us just know Micah 5.2, but it's kind of cool when you read it in its context. As a matter of fact, today, if you're reading through the Bible in the, the one-year Bible, this is what we read today. And so you get to get the context of it, what was going on there in, in the book of Micah. We know, we know Micah was a prophet, a contemporary of Isaiah and Amos. He was writing in 8th century BC, about 700 plus years before the birth of Christ. What was going on? What was his message? Well, he was ministering to the northern kingdom as well as the southern kingdom. And one of the things that we see is that this right here, this specific passage, was when God's people were at their lowest. They were, um, in one sense, uh, Micah was talking about a time when they would be conquered and carried away as slaves to Babylon. It was in the most humiliating fashion As a matter of fact, look at Micah chapter 5 in verse 1. I want to read it in the New Living Translation. It says, Mobilize, marshal your troops. The enemy is laying siege to Jerusalem. Now, just in case you didn't know this, every single time you read the word siege in the Bible, it's always in reference to the Babylonian siege of Jerusalem. So this is what he's talking about. And it says right here, They will strike Israel's leader in the face with a rod. Now this is when the Jews, this is when Jerusalem, this is when God's people were at their lowest, in the most humiliating place they could possibly be, where their leader, their king, the Bible says, was struck in the face. These were God's people. And so that right there is a very humiliating thing. And so, as a matter of fact, if you look back in Micah chapter 4, verse 10, it specifically mentions Babylon. And so this is where they would be. This is kind of the context of this passage, how Babylon had beat them down, but there's a baby to be born. And so we read in verse 2, but you, Bethlehem, there's a contrast there. They're beaten down, but, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are a little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from Everlasting. You know, I know we all probably are familiar with this passage. I think we kind of see it as a Christmas ornament, symbolically speaking, hung on our trees of truth this time of year. After all, this is the passage that identifies the place where baby Jesus, the Messiah, would be born. Now, as I mentioned earlier, there's actually two Bethlehems in the Bible. One is located in the land of Zebulun, the other in the land of Judah. And the Bethlehem Jesus was born in is in the land of Judah, about six miles uh, southwest of Jerusalem. I think we have a map here just to kind of give you an idea of where it is there in the lower, lower portion of uh, of Israel. And so in patriarchal times, so Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it was known as Ephra. That's what this was known as. And later it became known as Bethlehem of Judea or Bethlehem Ephratha. And that's the word that you guys are going to learn today, Ephratha, right? And so that would distinguish it from the Bethlehem in Zebulun. And so Micah, you know, when you're doing a prophecy, a lot of times these things are a little bit, um, I mean, I don't know, they're not as clear they're not as precise they're not as bold for him to actually say here's the prophecy the messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem 700 years before it takes place it's actually a rather bold statement he identifies it as the place where the messiah would be born and to me I don't know about you guys but it's it's fascinating it's intriguing to me how how specific he is you know cuz when you study prophecy and this is why i'm saying that uh, many things, there were many things about the prophecies that, that that we, that the Jews did not know when it comes to the coming of the Messiah. But one thing they did know was where he would be born. Now, now when you and I look at the fulfillment of prophecy, 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in his first coming, when we look at it and we see it all come kind of to pass, we're like, okay, now it's clear. But for them back then, it wasn't as clear except for this one. They knew, they knew, they knew that their Messiah was going to be reborn in Bethlehem. As a matter of fact, turn to Matthew chapter 2, if you would. And this is, um, even this is kind of interesting. It's a couple of years after the birth of Jesus. And uh, and these wise men come from the East. More than likely, they're students of Daniel, uh, Daniel's teachings, and uh, they had traveled um, from Babylon, probably, in, in order to worship the king. And it says right here in Matthew 2 and verse 1, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to do what? To worship him. So when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd. And I like that because the, Micah doesn't say shepherd; he just says rule. But 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 God gives us the full counsel here that this king was not just a king; he's a shepherd. He will shepherd my people, Israel. And so they knew when the wise men came, they're like, "Hey, we've seen the star. Messiah's coming. The king. We came to worship him." And so Herod's like, "Hey, you know, let me get the scholars out. Where where is he supposed to be born?" They knew that he was supposed to be born. In Bethlehem. And it wasn't just the scholars. It wasn't just those with the, you know, graduated from the University of Jerusalem. Even the laymen knew. If you were to go over to John 7, you don't have to turn there. But in John chapter 7, in verses 40 through 42, they're, they're talking about Jesus, and they have these different opinions. And it says, therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, truly, this is the prophet. And others said, this is the Christ. But some said, will the Christ come out of Galilee? And they said this, has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem? where David was even the people knew now when these people are talking about Jesus in this context they were thinking he was born in Galilee no he wasn't born in Galilee that's where he set up his ministry but but um but he was he was actually born in Beth they didn't know that but they did know this they did know that the Christ the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And something interesting too about this right here, it says that he would be born in the town of Bethlehem. And so I was looking it up. What's the difference between a city and a town? I think you guys know, huh? You guys wouldn't have had to look it up, huh? But I'm like, what is the difference, man? And so towns are just smaller, less citizens, less significant. I mean, where Jesus was born in Bethlehem, I mean, it was just nothing, nothing there. And so um Just thinking about this, how clear it was, how concise it was, how precise it was. To me, when I think of all the prophecies, there's a uniqueness to it. There's an aspect really of mystery in other prophecies and shadows and challenging interpretations, but but not with this one. God wanted to make it clear that the Christ was to be born in Bethlehem. And I think uh, the reason is, is because God wants to teach us something about this place. Why Bethlehem Ephrathah and I think a lot of you might know number 1 the meaning of its name. What does Bethlehem mean? You guys know? House of bread. House of bread. And I and I know for sure, you know, cuz God is in the details. It is definitely not random that Bethlehem means House of Bread, for that's what came out of the oven that night when Jesus was born, uh, that first Christmas night, um, uh, that night on the town, out came out came the bread of life. Huh. Out came this manna from heaven. You know Jesus identified himself as the bread of life in John six thirty five and John six forty eight. When the people wanted to make him king. So he could feed them the best fish Thorfus ever, that's all they wanted from him, um, at least for the rest of their lives, you know. Uh, the Lord told them in John chapter six, and I got I want you guys to turn there if you would. Look what it says in John six in verse thirty five. Actually, we'll start in verse 26. John 6, verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. He said, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. And then they said to him, well, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. And therefore they said to him, well, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus said to them, Moses, assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And so they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Look down, if you would, at verse 48, where Jesus again says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. You know, I don't know if you guys have ever done this. I know it sounds a little silly, you know, but, you know, your kids are over your house or, or whatever and, you, hey, the food's here. You know, or maybe there's some one that you see on the street and they're homeless and and you kind of look at them and they're they're almost you can just tell they're hungry, and so you offer them food in one sense, you guys, this is what Christmas is all about. when I chose the specific location as to where my children were to be born, there was thought into it, there was a process of decision making, and when our father chose. For our Savior to be born in Bethlehem, it wasn't random. There was a message that he wanted to share with mankind that that Jesus His Son was coming to be the bread of life. He would be the manna from heaven. You know, when I when I think of that, I, I think like today, and as I just you guys, you know, I'm funny, I'm I'm kind of weird, man. But today when I was studying I normally don't do this, but I said, you know what, I'm going to get a slice of bread today, you know, because I'm talking about the bread of life. And I don't know, just something not spiritual or anything, but just like how I, I think that the bread of life can be there. Jesus can be there and we don't we don't partake. You know, I mean Jesus came, does that mean that everybody's going to get saved? No, because a lot of people don't go and partake of the bread. They're not hungry because they're filled with all the other things the world has to offer. So they don't even want the bread, and even others, you know, they won't go get it. They don't realize that therein is salvation, therein is satisfaction, therein is sustenance. You know, when I when I when I think of this, I was talking to the Lord and I said, "Lord, There's a a message here for me. I've been a Christian now for 30 years. It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm in right relationship with you. I have to be close to Jesus. When I was praying today and I was on my knees, the Lord was convicting me, showing me so many things that I need to get right with God. What is it about Jesus that's so awesome? When you look at him and you partake of of, of what he's done for you and then you want to follow him and you want to take up your cross and, and be like Jesus, you want to really take in this bread of life. You know, the thing about Jesus that just blows me away is how humble he was. You know, when they nailed him to the cross or when they, you know, came against him, or the religious Pharisees, or just all the things that he went through, I'm sure even growing up as a child, I'm sure it was just wrong. It was wrong. It was wrong. They were treating them so wrong. And and he's God, and he could have just like just smashed them and started all over again. He doesn't need us. But man, his humility. He just took it all in. And what did he do? He just loved them. And I said, Lord, I need to be that way. You know, as you as you're taking in the bread of life. You know, isn't it interesting how um, the manna would fall every day except for one day, and they would have to take double portion uh, so that they wouldn't gather on the Sabbath day. And I was thinking about the, the prayer, the model prayer, give us this day our daily bread. There's something about this walk, there's something about this companionship that we have with Jesus that is every single day. Christmas is not once a year. Christmas is not like this you know season. I mean, he is the reason for this season, but he's the reason for every day. and And so how do we take in this daily bread? How do we do this every single day? You know that's, I think, the key you know, to Christmas. We need this, and we need this with all our heart. You know, we need the bread of life. That's why I think part of the reason Jesus was born in in Bethlehem, the the house of bread. I mean, this is where we live, in the house of bread. And so my encouragement to you is to be like Mary who sat at Jesus' feet every single day. And she was given things that she needed for direction and taught. And she was then uh, given things that could never be taken away from her. This world will sap you dry, will suck you with all the distractions. Some of them, they might be moral and upright, but they're not personal and intimate and spiritual and powerful because you're not spending time with the Lord. We need to get into the word. We need to be in prayer. We need to have a heart of absolute obedience self-denial love this when i when i'm thinking about christmas i'm like lord this bread is so beautiful i know that's why you were born there because you are the bread of life you are the manna that came down from heaven i know you are you know when jesus came and he was talking to them in john chapter 6 as he continued on there were some there with a superficial commitment and they, they from the Bible says in John six verse sixty six that many of them walked away, because Jesus started telling them, "Hey, you know what? If you want to follow me, you have to eat my flesh." And they were thinking, "Well, he's talking about cannibalism, you know? They, this is weird." But, but you know, we we know what that is. That's talking about like really believing on the Lord Jesus Christ not just here but here lord i i really believe that that's what he's talking about you know some people they don't eat they don't eat the flesh they don't really believe and so my, my prayer that is that we would enter in one of the things that you'll find in romans ten seventeen is it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god if you're here tonight and you're struggling if you're here tonight and it's not really something you're interested in i challenge you i challenge you you open up your bible and you start reading it the way that you should because then i think god's going to meet you there if your heart is open why Bethlehem Ephratha? Why that? Well, the meaning of its name, Bethlehem means house of bread and Ephratha. Do you guys know what that means? Ephratha. It means fruitfulness. Not random. God said, I want my son born there. This is the name of that place. I want it there. Bethlehem Ephratha, Because it's the house of bread and because when they abide in me, this is their life. They will bear fruit. You know, and, and what, what good would it do to say, okay, I celebrated Christmas and I bought the gifts and I went to church and I sang the songs and, you know, whatever, the, the stuff that, you know, we look at sometimes, you know, send Christmas cards. We don't do that as much nowadays. But, but to me, it's like, I always talk about, you know, Lord, you gave me your son. You gave me your son. I have to give you my heart. Because usually there's an exchange going on. And so as we do give God our heart, then there's going to be fruit. There is. Watch, turn to John chapter 15. Another passage I'm sure many of us are familiar with, but it's all centered around Jesus, where he says in verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, more than likely, what that where it says takes away is is he lifts up. You can also get that language in the in the Greek. And and what would happen is if the branch is hitting the ground, they would the vine dresser would kind of lift it up and kind of help it so that it would bear fruit. It's kind of working with it, right? And so every branch in me, notice they're in me that does not bear fruit, he he, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, what does he do? He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Now, how many of you guys here think that pruning feels good? (laughs) You know, you're bearing fruit, you're doing good, then all of a sudden something happens that just, man, it hurts. It's crazy, it doesn't make sense. You know, God's working, God's doing something, God is pruning us. Sometimes he takes things away. Sometimes we need to take things away. You know, believe it or not, sometimes it's necessary for us to do less so we can accomplish more. All I know is this, is that God is the here and Jesus saying, I'm the true vine and my father's the vine dresser. You guys are the branches. If you're not bearing fruit, joy, you know, the fruit of spirit, then uh, God's going to work with you. Uh, God's going to deal with you. Um, if you are, he's going to prune you so that you can bear more fruit. And he's talking to the disciples in verse three he says, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you, and here it is, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Why was Jesus born in Bethlehem, Ephratha? I mean, why did God the Father choose this you know, town with these names? I think if you listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church, that you're going to say, there's something here about this bread of life that brings about the fruit for which we were chosen. You know, we're chosen to bear moral fruit and ministry fruit. How does it happen? How? It says right here that we have to abide in him. We have to rest in Jesus. We have to remain in Jesus. We have to draw our strength from him. We can't do this on our own strength. You know, some people think they're bearing fruit because they're, you know what, they've got 17,000 followers on Instagram and they're a Christian. That doesn't necessarily mean you're bearing fruit. You know, the fruit of the Spirit has to do with character like love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self control. You start looking at that, and Lord, is that me? You know, this is what God wants us to bear. Not just moral fruit, but also ministry fruit. Because if you look on right here, look at verse 6. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Now, I believe that when you get saved, you start believing in Jesus, you rest and remain in him, but you got to keep believing in Jesus. That's all. Keep believing in Jesus until the day you die. Because if the day comes and you're not abiding in Him, you're no longer resting in Him, remaining in Him. There's a heavy warning right here. So He says in verse 7, If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. It's a radically transformed prayer life. By this My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be My disciples. And so you know, he, he says, you bear fruit, you, you bear more fruit. My, my desire is that you would actually bear much fruit. And I just think, you guys, as we're looking at the place and the you know, location of where Jesus was born, when we talk about the house of bread and Ephrathah, which is in reference to fruitfulness, that there is a, a, a message here for us that God wants to do that work in us and through us. You know, how do you celebrate Christmas? Seriously, how do you do it? You know, We are looking forward to tamales, huh, babe? We found out today. We're going to get some uh, really good tamales. And you know, there's these beautiful things about it. We're going to go look at lights. Nothing wrong with that, okay? So you can do those things. But my prayer is that we would um, abide in Christ, that we would rest there, we would remain there, we would draw near to Him. Because if we do... He says, all you, don't, you don't have to worry about going and doing all that stuff, focusing on doing all that stuff. It will just be an outflow of your personal relationship with me. If you abide, if you soak it in, if you sit at his feet, if you pray like you mean it, if you read that Bible with an open heart, if your are fellowshipping, is, it is genuine, if you love God and you want to obey him, then you don't have to worry about trying to figure out how ministry is going to work out because it will just flow. It will be so sweet. And and when I think of the Lord sending his son, I, I just think, Lord, I know these are the things that you want to do. Why Bethlehem Ephrathah? Well, number one, I think the meaning of its name, but number two, its single claim to fame. And so we talked a little bit about this again in verse two, but you Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are a little among the thousands of Judah, little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. You know, Bethlehem is found 39 times in the Bible, the first time in Genesis thirty-five nineteen, and there it's identified as a place where Rachel died and was buried. So that's, probably not a good association that's kind of not a good beginning we know how much jacob loved rachel right so bethlehem first time it's mentioned in the bible is the place where rachel died and was buried and you fast forward in the book of judges it has sketchy connections with a wandering priest and then a man whose concubine was ravished to death and dismembered and used to start a civil war in israel where somewhere around a hundred thousand people died, and the tribe of Benjamin was almost completely wiped out that that all happened in connection to Bethlehem. I mean Bethlehem was not significant; it did not have a good start; it was known for nothing but bad and When you look at this right here, what you find is that you know God takes this town that 's in one sense dead and bad and nothing good about it and then something happens one day you know someone was born and raised in bethlehem by the name of david and it was in this town that samuel went and anointed him as the successor uh to king saul you guys know about david right what did david do in the beginning do you guys remember he well other than you know singing psalms out there and watching over the sheep and being a faithful shepherd. And then the day comes up and he steps up as he's delivering bread and cheese to his brothers who are there on the field in the Valley of Elah. David is the one who goes and he kills who? Goliath. Goliath is a symbol of the devil. David comes when no one else would step up. David comes and he kills the devil. See, this is what David did. This is where Bethlehem now begins to get a a little recognition. It, It wasn't a big city, but it was the city of David. That's its single claim to fame. You know, I was talking to someone the other day and they were telling me about their visit to Tokyo and it was just fascinating the things they were telling me. And I and I think that most of us here, we would kind of figure like, okay, if we're going to pick somewhere for our famous child to be born, the one that we want to like reach the world, you know, you might figure, well, maybe Rome or maybe Jerusalem, Athens, Alexandria, one of the big cities of the day, but but Almani, you know, or something like that, you know, Bethlehem, you know, I mean... And, and, and the Lord just says it don 't doesn 't even need all that and i 've learned this in life it 's not about the, all the other frills and stuff it 's about people, and in this case it 's about David, who would then one day just going even going through all the trials, eventually you guys know his story right He ends up um, not even doing it himself. It was told of the Lord the way that he became king of Judah, and then seven years later king of all Israel. And what a beautiful time of peace and prosperity and blessing under the leadership of God's anointed king, right? And so, you know, when you find, well, that was really the only significant thing about it, well, that's all there there has to be. You know, all Bethlehem had was David who was born there, and that's all it needed to have to make it the perfect place for the Messiah king to be born Whose rule would bring a perfect and permanent peace. You know, when we show these pictures of babies being born, every single one of them is a miracle. And I pray you would never forget that. And you know, Sunday we had the opportunity to dedicate, you know, uh, Kezia, I don't know if I pronounced her name right, but she's so beautiful. And you look at these kids and you wonder, like, Lord, be with them. What's gonna what what would their life be? like what's going to happen and and and, you know when you know david was born something was set in motion we have the story of ruth and Obed and jesse and it's an amazing thing what god started to do and then you know when we see how god blessed the nation under the leadership of david he becomes the picture of who jesus would be and and one of the things you'll see you guys is this that that when we're talking about the the messiah it's kind of cool, and I'm seeing this more and more as I'm going through the prophets this year, as I'm going through the Bible, is, is just constantly talking about how, how it's not just the first coming, it's also the second coming. I mean, there's a, they just come together. You know, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, right? They'll call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's so cool when you look at how they talk about the first coming, but boom, right there, it's the second coming. Because for us, when we look at the birth of Jesus Christ, we have to know, especially in the world that we're living in today, that yeah, there's a lot of bad going on. There's a lot of you know things happening that is crazy, and it might make us afraid, but we shouldn't be afraid because we know that's the whole point, that the king will rule the king has come. And what that does... Is it comforts my heart? You know, we read later Isaiah sixty one, and the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, is anointing me to preach the gospel, to preach good tidings to the poor, and all the things that Jesus came to do His first time. He's setting the captives free. Amazing! But then, when you continue to read right there, is this and then the day of vengeance. I mean, it's the first coming, the second coming. They always come together, because what we're finding is that for us, I don't know about you, I don't know about you. But I am so grateful to know, in these crazy world, and I thank God for Christian, you know, politicians like our sister Vicky here. But man, you know, we can't look to the government. We have to look to God, and that's what ends up happening. That's who we see right here. It says right here in Micah chapter five. It says down there, if you look at verse five at the bottom, it says, "And this one shall be." peace and that's such a blessing to know peace is a huge part of the christmas story you guys might remember the angels announcement to the shepherds in luke 2 13 through 14 suddenly there was a with the angels a multitude of the heavenly host praising god and saying glory to god in the highest and on earth peace goodwill toward men you know this one this one is is peace you know, when you look at the, the message of peace, I love what Jesus said in John fourteen twenty seven. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. How did he make peace? He made peace by the blood of his cross. Because that baby was born to grow up. And you guys know the mission of Jesus would be to, you know, to teach us the truth from the top. And as he gave us everything that we needed to learn and, and raise up his apostles, and then the time would come when he finished that portion of his mission to die on a cross for all of our sins. And that's what the Bible says in Colossians one twenty. and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And even though he was a spotless lamb, completely innocent, he died, he came on Christmas to die on our behalf, to die for our sins, so that one day we can have uh, this perfect peace. Do you guys ever think about what's this world going to be like when Jesus comes? First of all, a thousand year reign, millennial kingdom. I mean, imagine how awesome that reign of peace will be. You guys ever think about that? You don't have to work, You don't have to lock your doors. You know, you don't have to worry about, you know, someone hurting you or things like that. I mean, it's going to be amazing. And then after the thousand years, then there's that one final rebellion. Jesus comes and then forever and ever we will have that peace. And I also believe that it's not just something that one day we're going to see, you know, in this distant future. I also believe it's something that we should have every single day of our life. It could never happen. I could never have peace in my life. It could never happen unless Jesus had come and Jesus was born. And it's interesting how it says right here who it is. It says, Yet out of you shall come forth to me, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. You know, when when Micah writes his prophecy right here, he's clearly identifying Bethlehem as the location of the birth of the Messiah but he's also clearly saying that this someone is supernatural because he says that this one is going to be born in Bethlehem. He's one whose activities reach all the way back to the days of eternity. That's literally what he's saying. And so we see that in John 1, one in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us how God came. And so the one whose activities, imagine that eternity past, is now working and has visited our world. And he lives in our heart. No matter what you're going through, no matter, no matter what you're going through, I pray you would know God. This God, whose activities reach from eternity past, now involved in our world, no matter what you're going through, you can have a peace, Jesus said. A perfect peace, because he gives it to us. I pray we would know this. You know, one last thing that I thought was interesting. Is um just the whole? There's there's a. I was reading. You know how they say when you study, you, you get you get you can only give out like one tenth of what you take in, right? Because I was just like blown away with all these different things here. The Bible's so deep. Theologians will never touch the bottom. But here's a, something else in closing. Okay, manna, manna. What does manna mean? You guys, you guys know what the word manna means. Some of you probably know, but just in case you didn't um in the hebrew language it's what is it did you guys know that they're like they had this bread and it came from heaven it was there on the ground and they picked it up and it was it's angel food i mean it's kind of interesting but they're they're, they're they called it that what is it what is it <laughs> you ever eat you ever ate something you didn't know what what it was <laughs> uh by faith right so that's what they were saying. What is it? What is it? And when I think of Jesus and this baby that was born and what he did on that cross, and how he rose from the dead, I think for us, the question is, who is this? Who can this be that stills the storm in my life? Who can this be? What is this? And the answer, I think, Micah gives to us, clearly, it's God. And I was just thinking, and maybe for some of you guys here, it doesn't make any sense how God would come into this ugly, small place. When you look at you know, the, all the, the, the galaxies, it's the size of a, a, I don't know, like a period at the end of the paper. You're like, why would God enter that wicked, dark world? And the answer is because he loves us, Right? And so I pray, you guys, that we would draw close to him this Christmas season. We'd spend time with him. You know, I was reading in some articles, I guess on Twitter, there's a lot of, uh, they call them tweets. Is that what they're called, tweets? That they're saying that there's a lot of things going on that are ruining Christmas. I don't know if you guys heard about this. But they say the supply chain problems are ruining Christmas. The vaccine mandates are ruining Christmas. Uh, one of them said, "Fauci is ruining ruining Christmas," or Biden's ruining Christmas. One even said climate change is ruining Christmas, and they said this because uh, they said uh, um, that the the summer's uh, climate change, the extreme weather is threatening Oregon's pine tree crop this year, and so. You know, um, you're not going to get your tree. So all these things, it was this craziest article of all these things that are literally tweets that people are sharing, saying it's ruining Christmas. No, no, none of that is going to ruin Christmas for me. It doesn't matter if there's no gifts under the tree. It doesn't matter, you know, what the financial situation, physical situation, it doesn't matter. Because I know, I know what Christmas is all about. It's about Jesus. And so we get to celebrate him. And I want to encourage you guys, make sure you get a slice of bread every day.